Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We're in a series that is really about killing that thing in us that has the potential to destroy everything good around us. And we're talking about our pride, and we're calling it the Black Widow, and we're talking about humility and pride and the interplay between those and what it looks like in our life. Had a really good friend of mine come in this morning. She had a tip for me. Uh, Sherry Shepard came in and she said, Brett, you're talking about these spiders. She said, any creepy crawly thing, just let me tell you what I do to them. She said, I take out my Paul Mitchell freeze and shine hairspray. And she says, one squirt paralyzes them. And she said, that's how I deal with them. So I, you know, I'm thinking about that and I'm like, yeah, humility is the Paul Mitchell freeze and shine for our life, okay? So um, I'm not talking about the pride that we feel for our kids or the pride that we feel for even our team or, our, or the pride we feel for, um, you know, a, a building a business or building an organization or, or even, you know, if you, if you and your wife, you, you say we're going to build a house and you, you do all the work that's required to build a house. I'm not suggesting that, that you know, Taking pride in those kind of things is necessarily a bad thing. I, I think you have to be careful. I think you have to really watch, uh, watch your, your spirit and, and, and see. But I'm talking about the pride that, uh, I'm not talking about the pride that inspires us to greatness, okay? There's, certain, there's a certain pride that drives us to do great things. And I'm not at all trying to disparage that or put that down. That's a good thing. Um, I'm talking about the pride that when you walk into the room, there's not room for anybody else in the room because you've walked into it, right? That your head is so big, that you think you're so big, that when you walk in, I mean, you're the kind of person, I'm talking about the kind of pride that makes you the kind of person that when you walk in, it sucks all the air out of the room because there's no room for anybody else, okay? That's the kind of pride I'm talking about. It's that pride that keeps you from admitting the things that you need to admit, and acknowledging the things that you need to acknowledge, from hearing the things that you need to hear, and sometimes from initiating the things that you need to initiate. We're talking about uh, calling it out and naming it and saying, you know what, that's pride and it has to go. Uh, Today, I want to talk to the three P people in the room. Three P people. That means you have a measure of power, you have a, a measure of prestige, and you have some measure of possessions. By power, I mean that when you walk into a room, people pay attention, right? If you walk into a room, you, you might be the boss, you might be the one that writes the checks, you may be the one that built the business, you're, but you're in charge. You're, you lead the division, you lead the branch, you, you lead the, 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 um, the school, the class, or, or, or whatever it is. Uh, you're in charge, you run the department, you own the company. And you've got a measure of power, and you, you, you know, people are a little bit careful around you. They have to be. They can't just say anything around you because you have the power to do something about it. That's the kind of power I'm talking about. Prestige. And prestige can come from a lot of different places. You may not be the richest person in the room, but maybe you're the smartest person in the room, and everybody knows it, and that gives you a, a bit of prestige. All eyes look to you when there's a decision to be made. They care about what you think. People bend their ear in your direction because you have good things to say or important things to say. You, you may have accomplished some great things. Maybe you, you know somebody who's great. Maybe you're related to somebody who's great. And by virtue of that, you, you have some level of prestige. And then there's possessions. 
You are resourced. Maybe it's because you worked hard and you, you, you started at the bottom and you worked your way up to the top. Maybe it's because you were born to the right family. Maybe it's because you know the right people. It could be any number of reasons why, but for some reason, you are resourced. Now, can we just stop before I really get into what I'm going to talk about today and just talk about this black widow thing a little bit? Can we just all acknowledge that if we were an insect, the last place we would want to find ourselves is in that position right there tangled in the web of the black widow spider because you know what's going to happen she's going to come wrap you up she's going to inject you with a venom that doesn't just incapacitate you it kills you and she's going to save you for lunch later we you don't we wouldn't want that right and so that's the power that pride has in our life and so that's why we're, we're talking about this in this series if you're a 3p person you have some special challenges when it comes to the black widow of pride in your life. Denying that you are a 3P person <clears throat> is not humility, okay? Just saying, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not a 3P person. That's not humility. That's actually deception. That's, that's honestly, that's dishonest is what it is. This is important. If you deny that you're a 3P person, it actually sets you up to misuse your three P's, and you will not use them wisely. So the best thing you can do is just acknowledge it. The best thing that you can do is, is just say, you know what, I am a three P person. I do have some level of power. I do have some level of prestige, and I do have some level of possession. So I'm set up to become entrapped in the web of the black widow if I'm not really careful with these things. So today's message is specifically for all the three P people. And even as I say that, somebody's sitting there thinking, well, that's great, but this sermon's not for me because I'm not a 3P person. That counts me out. Let me just show you this. Did you know that there are over 3 billion people in the world that if we were to drop them into your world and they were able to see how you live, they would see you as a 3P person? There, there are people in this world who live on less than $2.50 a day, and they would look at you and they would just be amazed at what you've got. They would be amazed at the power. They would be amazed at the things you have the capacity and the ability to do and pull off by, the, by what you could do when you walk into a room with the prestige you have that they don't have. The power that you have, they don't have. The possessions you have, they don't have. And you would be tempted to look at them and say, oh, I really, you know, I don't really have that much. And they'd say, are you... Are you kidding me? Look what you drive. Look what you live in. Look at the vacations you take. Look at the people you get to hang out with. Look at the clothes you're wearing. You are absolutely a 3P person. And you'd say, oh, I don't have any prestige. And they say, are you kidding me? You live in America. We've got people that are dying to get into this country, literally. Dying to get into this country. They would see us and they would say, oh, just give anything to be able to be in that country. And we were born here. And we call this home, and we just, so often we take it for granted. And we'd say things like, you know, I'm not really that rich of a person. I really don't have that much stuff. And they would look at us and just shake their head. Like, you know, you, they would say things like, you do not tell the truth, <laughs> right? You're not, tell, you're not a truth teller because you have all kinds of things. See, if we were somehow to be able to transport you to the world of any of these three billion people, and, you know, I say billion, a million is a lot right? Like a million is a lot. We throw these words around like they're nothing. A million is a lot of people. A billion 
unbelievably large number. I'm talking about three billion people. If I could put you in the place where they are and just let you see how they live, I think that we would all be embarrassed by our riches. I think we would be embarrassed by what we have, what we're able to do, who we know, what we're able to accomplish. Um, you know, I've been on a mission trip with Tracy, and we, a lot of us have gone on mission trips. Um, I've gone to a couple, and it, it just never fails. You go on a mission trip, or you talk to somebody that's been on a mission trip, they come back talking about, oh my goodness, I'm rich. I never thought I was rich before, but I'm rich. I, I didn't realize it until I got to compare it to somebody in another part of the world. The stuff that I have, the things I'm able to do, the people I know, the things I'm able to accomplish, I am a 3P person. So somewhere in the world, there are a bunch of people, 3 billion of them in fact, that would look at you, even though you might not look at you and think you're a 3P person, you definitely in their eyes are a 3P person because you have an enviable life and lifestyle. So this message is really for all of us because in some context we are all set up by what we have, by what we know, by who we know and what we do and, and where we have the option to go. And it sets us up to be caught in the web. So today we're going to be talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. And, you know, I, that's a, in my notes I refer to him as King Neb. So if I forget and just say King Neb, you understand who I'm talking about when you're typing this over and over it's a, it's a lot, and even as I'm looking at that, I've misspelled it. There are two Zs, I'm pretty sure, in Nebuchadnezzar. So Brett's already messed it up. Okay, so humility. The black widow just got me. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, okay? And in about 605 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar's army goes to Jerusalem, and he invades the city, and he conquers it, and he almost destroys the entire city. This is 605 B.C., and if you um, have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 4. It may take you a minute to find it, so I'll give you a little head start. Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar goes in. He, he almost destroys the city of Jerusalem. He basically conquers the whole uh, southern half of the kingdom of Israel, and he took a lot of things of value when he did that. One of the things that they took was the best and brightest young men, um, of the day like they would go in and find the the you know the really smart kids and they didn't put them to death they would load them up and they would bring them back to Babylon and they would have them raised up and put them in uh, you know in the places with the wise men they would put them in the accounting departments and in all the intelligence they would want to expose them to the intelligentsia of the city um, they would indoctrinate them in Babylonian culture and it enabled them basically to have this wonderful palace guard. They had these great wise men as a result of this. And so Babylon had a lot of people from a lot of different ethnicities, a lot of different parts of the world. And so consequently, there's a lot of value. There's a lot of wisdom in Babylon. So when, when King Nebuchadnezzar went into Jerusalem, he carted off four very famous young men, one of whom you know, if you grew up in church, you know the four guys that I'm talking about. Um, you've probably heard of these guys. The, the first one was a guy named Daniel, right? Almost, I mean, just about everybody's heard of Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. But then if you like grew up in church and how many of you grew up looking at your teacher with flannel graph? How many of you, if I say flannel graph, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are looking at me right now like, what in the world is flannel graph? It was uh, cutting edge technology in 1963. I'm telling you, cutting edge. But your Sunday school teacher would, would reenact 
the story of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego on your flannel graph, right? If you went to church camp, you know who these people are. If you, if you didn't grow up in church, you're like, I, I might know who Daniel is. I don't know that I know these other three dudes. Well, we'll talk about them a little bit. These guys get to Babylon. They are from Jerusalem, and they get settled in in Babylon. They're integrated into things. And then at some point, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He thinks it's pretty important. And so he calls all of the interpreters, all of the, the, the guys that tell him what dreams mean, all the wise people and magicians. And he says, hey, I've had this dream. I don't know what it means. I want you to tell me what it means, but I'm not going to tell you the dream. You have to tell me the dream and you have to tell me what it means. And, you know, these guys are like, King, come on, man. I mean, really? I mean, only the gods could tell you what the dream was. We, we can't possibly know what the dream was. Well, um, King Nebuchadnezzar isn't having any of that, and he's about to put these guys to death when Daniel steps up, and Daniel says, hey, you know, hang on a minute. Give me a little time. I'm going to come back. I'll tell you what the dream means. Just, you know, just hold on for a second. And sure enough, Daniel comes back, and he tells Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was about, uh, tells him what it was, and then tells him what it was about. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is so impressed by Daniel that he says, okay, from now on, we're going to worship Daniel's God, which is the Jewish God, Yahweh. That's who we're going to worship. Daniel's God is the God of all gods. And so a few years pass, and King Nebuchadnezzar forgets the lesson that he learned uh, years earlier, and, and he decides, okay, now I'm going to have this big statue made. We're all going to start to bow to me. He forgets about Daniel. He forgets about what, Daniel, what he said about Daniel's God. And he says, you know what? I'm going to be the God. Everybody's going to bend their knee to me. And so he, he has this great big huge idol statue thing made. He puts it out in the, what they call the plain of Dura, just outside of Babylon. And he says, everybody is going to bow. Well, Daniel is out of the city, on vacation, not sure where Daniel was. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hear about this statue that Nebuchadnezzar is going to have everybody bow to, and they say, we are not, they send a message, we are not going to bow to your idol. We're just not going to do it. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you went to Sunday school, you know this story. They end up in the fiery furnace, and um, King Nebuchadnezzar is going to burn them up in this furnace, except they won't burn. They've got their fire retardant footy pajamas on, and they, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't burn. So King Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, bring them out. New rule, whoever they worship, that's who we're going to worship. Well, who they worship is the same God that Daniel worshiped. So once again, you would think King Nebuchadnezzar would learn his lesson. You would think there's this thing rolling around in his head going, you know what, seems like I've said this before, but whoever they worship, that's who we worship. So King Nebuchadnezzar has this on-again, off-again relationship with God. But when you are the emperor of the world, and that's pretty much what he was because you know, Babylon was it back in the day. They controlled that part of the world, and from their perspective, they controlled the world. And when you're surrounded by people who are telling you that you're the greatest, oh, king, you're the greatest. When you are surrounded by people who are telling you that you are like a god, you can begin to believe your own press. You can begin to believe that you are a king. And I would just say that when you are you and when you are me and you listen to your own self-talk sometimes, we can get ourselves convinced in our own minds, you're important. You're a king. You're better than. 
you, 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 you don't associate with that kind of person. You don't do this kind of thing. You, you know, pride can start talking to us and it gets us in bad places. So about 25 years after all of this, in about 580 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And here's how the story starts. This is, a, this is part of King Nebuchadnezzar's journal, and somehow Daniel gets a hold of this, and it ends up in our Old Testament Jewish book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. So King Nebuchadnezzar is a 2P person at least. He's got a palace, and he's prosperous, okay? Verse 5, I had a dream that made me afraid. Now, in his dream... He dreamed about this giant tree that was so huge that it could be seen throughout the world. Everybody could see it, and it was beautiful. And then a voice, he hears this voice in this dream that says, cut it down. Cut the tree down. And suddenly the tree is cut down, and all that is left is a stump in the ground. After the tree gets cut down in this dream, he hears this voice in the dream, and he calls them messengers or maybe angels, and in this dream, he hears them announce something. And it says, verse 17, the decision is announced by messengers, the holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that. Now, I'm gonna read this next part, but we're gonna read this several times in this message this morning. And I would like for this, that red highlighted part to become something that's on your mind as you leave today. So I want you to read this with me. I'm going to start at the beginning, and we're going to read that passage from the beginning. And when we get to this part, I want you to read that out loud with me. Are you ready? The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that, here we go, the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And then the verse goes on to say, and sets them over the lowliest of people. So he's telling all this dream to Daniel. This is what he's heard in this dream. This is what these messengers said to him. And Daniel's hearing this, and Daniel's freaking out, okay? He's, he's, he's crestfallen, he's ashen-faced, you know, it's just... And King Nebuchadnezzar wonders what's wrong. Daniel can't even speak. And, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar is, is trying to encourage Daniel and lift him up and tell him, hey, it's okay, I mean, I'm the king. What could possibly go wrong? Well, Daniel looks at King Nebuchadnezzar and says, King Nebuchadnezzar, if only this dream was about your enemies, but it's not about your enemies. This dream is about you. You are the tree in the dream. Verse 24, this is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, this is an illustration, right? Like, this isn't real. Like, you're not being serious right now. And Daniel says, no. I mean it seriously, seven times. And, and, and scholars, they're not really sure what it means when we read seven times, but it, it could mean seven days, seven weeks, seven months. Most scholars think it means seven years. Um, seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge, read it with me, that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. King Nebuchadnezzar 
this is going to be your lot in life unless you recognize and once and for all see that you are a king, you are not the king. Okay, there's a difference. You're a king. You're not the king. You're not the most important. You're not the God. You're not the one. He goes on, verse 26. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge, and and this is just such a cool phrase. This is the only time this phrase appears in the Bible. When you acknowledge that heaven rules. Heaven rules. And then Daniel begs King Nebuchadnezzar to repent of his sin, specifically that he would repent of the way he's been treating people who are lowly, uh, people that don't have the, the same things, and, and just people that, that are in need, people that, that are, you know, need the help of the kingdom. And so it was just understood in this time that if you were the king, you had a duty to look after those that were underprivileged. Maybe in high school you studied and learned about the Code of Hammurabi. One of the things that the Code of Hammurabi said was if you're a king, and this, the Code of Hammurabi was established 1,100 years before this story that we're reading in, in Scripture. Um, it, it demanded that the king be the protector of the poor, be the protector of the widows and the orphans. And so Daniel is addressing the most powerful man on the planet, and he says, hey, you've got to repent of your sins of injustice, and if you do, maybe God will relent, and maybe you won't have to go through this horrible thing that I see that you're about to go through. Well, a year goes by, and we read this in verse 29. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, I don't know what it is about kings in the Bible walking on the roof, but every time they do that, they get in trouble. Moral of the story, stay off your roof unless you're putting on shingles, okay? Just doesn't, doesn't do you any good to walk on the roof. You're just going to get in trouble. So he's walking on the roof. He said, and, and this is, you know, if you're watching this as a movie, if this was unfolding as a movie, this is where the soundtrack would change. This is where the Jaws music starts, right? This is where it gets ominous. This is where everything gets kind of dark. Here's the king of Babylon, the most important man in the room, the most important man in the world. He is walking on his rooftop looking out at this beautiful Babylonian city that, that is basically he's, he's been responsible to bring up. And he says, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. And if this is a movie, you would be thinking to yourself, oh, dude, no, no. You ever been watching a movie, and the main character, you can just tell where the movie's going, and you see him making decisions, or you see her making decisions, and you see them getting kind of puffed up, and you see them, and and you're like, oh, this is not going to end well. This is not, the, you know, they don't understand that they, they don't see themselves the way they should see themselves. Well, that's kind of how this would have been if you'd been around Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 31, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. In other words, you are a king, you are not the king. Something can be decreed other than something that you decree. Right? You're not the only one who can issue things, and there's somebody bigger than you, stronger than you, badder than you, that can issue decrees that, out, that trump your decrees. Right, like There's somebody bigger and stronger. Your royal authority has been taken from you, which means somebody gave it to you. It was a stewardship. It was temporary. 
And King Nebuchadnezzar, whether you think so or not, you are accountable. Verse 32, you will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that. Now read this with me. The Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 33, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails were like the claws of a bird. And you want to look at me right now and say, come on, Brett. Come on. That's a bunch of nonsense. Brett, that's just, you're doing preacher ninja that's not real. That's just biblical hyperbole, hyperbole, right? That's not real. Brett, that's not real. Did you know there is an actual mental condition and there is a name for it? It is called boanthropy. Boanthropy, a person in a delusional state who believes himself or herself to be an ox or a cow and attempts to live and behave accordingly. I have two words for you. Google it. Google it. You think I'm lying to you, right? This is real. Uh, There's stories about this in history. There are stories around the world of people who have had boanthropy. It's a story of a guy that was in Great Britain that for five years was in an institution. Every day they would take him out, put him in in the yard, and he would act like a cow. And then they would bring him in at night and he would sleep. And that's what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And it was prophesied that it would only last for a time. Verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. You think? You think that God didn't have his his attention now? I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom, not mine, right? Right? His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because, any, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Right, like Nebuchadnezzar's given a big old amen, like, hey, trust me when I tell you, God can lay you low. So 40 years goes by. And King, King Nebuchadnezzar is dead, and really, the influence of Babylon is, is starting to die out. There's a new kingdom to look at, and it's run by the, the Persians. It's run by a guy named Cyrus the Great. So 40 years after the Babylonian Empire has, has you know, kind of gone downhill a little bit, Babylon is ruled by two men. King Nebuchadnezzar had a daughter. And she um, married a, a man named Nabonidus, okay? So the, King Nebuchadnezzar's daughter marries this man named Nabonidus. And so the daughter and Nabonidus have a son, and his name is Belshazzar, which would make him the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. So Belshazzar and Nabonidus are going to rule Babylon together. Nabonidus basically runs the army, and he takes care of the fighting things. And Belshazzar stays in the city of Babylon, and he, he basically rules over the city. Um, well, 
while Belshazzar is, is ruling in the city, Nabonidus is out in the field and he's, he's fighting with the Persians and he just keeps getting defeated time after time by the Persians and he eventually surrenders to the Persian army and he flees to the hills. Um, and the Persian army surrounds the city of Babylon with Belshazzar and all of his subjects inside the city of Babylon and Belshazzar does not know what has happened to Nabonidus. He doesn't know that Nabonidus has fled to the hills. He thinks he's out there fighting somewhere. And so he's, he's surrounded, the whole city of Babylon is surrounded by the Persians. There's this wall up around the city, and he has no idea what has happened to his father. All he knows is that Babylon is surrounded, and he's not too worried about it, because in his mind, in his way of thinking, Babylon is the, the greatest city in the world. It is impenetrable. Nobody's going to be able to get to us. They can't get over or around or through the wall. They can stay out there for all time as far as we're concerned. We're not worried about them. So in his ignorance and in his arrogance, on the night that the city has been surrounded by the Persians and cut off from any help from the outside, Belshazzar decides to throw a party. And he dedicates the party to the god Marduk. So let me just give you a little background on this. When King Nebuchadnezzar was alive, and that would have been Belshazzar's grandfather, every time Nebuchadnezzar would go into a nation or into a city and he would conquer that nation or he would conquer that city, one of the things he would do, along with taking the intelligentsia of, of that particular city or nation, he would also go in and he would take their gods. He would take their statues. He would gather them up and he would bring them back to Babylon and they would, he would throw those into a room, and he just had this God collection that kind of started to grow. And it just had all kinds of idols in it. So he has all these gods from all these nations, and at this party, Belshazzar goes into this room where his grandfather had put these idols, and he brings out the statue of Marduk, and he puts it in the middle of the room. And he brings out the other statues, and he lines them in a semicircle around Marduk as if to say, all these other gods and all of us bow to Marduk. And, they're in the, and Marduk is in the middle of the room. And he has all these people there for this party, and he has his servants bring out all these different statues to all these different gods. So, um, and basically what, what Belshazzar's saying is, Marduk is not going to let anything happen to us. Now, many years before this, when King Nebuchadnezzar had entered the city of Jerusalem, when he went into the temple to find the idol or the statue or the, the Hebrew God, he was looking for some image of it, he didn't find it. Well, why didn't he find it? Because the Ten Commandments didn't allow for that. One of the things the Ten Commandments said was, you do not make a statue, you do not make an idol. So when he went into the temple, he couldn't find anything like that. So he did the next best thing. He looked around for anything that would that would look like it was important, anything that might have been important to the Hebrew people, anything of value, and he starts gathering all that stuff up. And all this gold, all this silver, these goblets and these plates, and he walks out, he takes all that stuff back to Babylon with him. So when King Nebuchadnezzar has raided this temple and he's brought it all back and he's stored it where he puts all this other stuff with all these uh, other gods from other nations. So when Belshazzar has his banquet, to boast that he is the king and they will never take the city, he gets out the gold and silver goblets that his grandfather had brought back from the Hebrew temple in Jerusalem as a reflection of the fact that, you know, we, we're better than that. Marduk's a better god than that. And so they begin to use these gold and silver goblets at this party. And right in the middle of the party, now you just got to imagine, this is a giant city, 
The Persians are surrounding the city. The walls are up. Belshazzar, the, the Babylonian ruler, thinks there's no way they can get to us. He's having this big, huge party that's kind of a thumb your nose at the Persians. And in his arrogance, he's throwing this party, and all of a sudden, he hears a noise. Everybody hears the noise. All of a sudden, all the cups are coming down. Everybody's head is looking up, and they all see a finger writing in the plaster on the wall. And they are shook. And Belshazzar is scared to death. And so he calls for the magicians and the diviners to come in and, and explain what the writing on the wall is, and, and no one can do it. And um, he, he's offering all kinds of rewards. He's saying, you know, I'll make you a third in, in line in the kingdom, and you, you can have some you know, great wealth, and, and, and nobody can help. And then Belshazzar's wife remembers Daniel. And, and she sends for Daniel. Now, Daniel is 70 years old now. Um, you know, he served under King Nebuchadnezzar, and, and, but Belshazzar's wife remembered him. And so he'd been a part of the kingdom all this time, and she, she sends for him. They bring him in. He looks up at the wall, and he looks at Belshazzar in all of his arrogance and all of his fear. And this is what Daniel says. Daniel chapter 5. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered the king. You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, your majesty, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, and it was actually his grandfather, but back in this day they, they just used the word father for all those relationships. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. In other words, my God, the God, the king of kings, loaned your grandfather his authority. Loaned him the ability to be king. Loaned him his splendor. Verse 20, but when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory until he acknowledged that, read it with me, the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. Belshazzar, your grandfather, who was a great king, understood that his power was on loan from the king of kings. Verse 22, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Now, this story about King Nebuchadnezzar had been handed down. I mean, this, is, this was a story that they'd all heard. Belshazzar had heard this. He's the grandson of the king, of King Nebuchadnezzar. He'd been told this story likely by his own grandfather. The Bible says, you, you knew this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. I just imagine as Daniel's having this conversation with Belshazzar, and he's talking about all these gods of wood, iron, and stone, just picture, here's this, this statue to the god Marduk in the middle made out of some kind of element and all these other statues around it and Daniel's calling off the different 
materials that they're made out of, iron, wood, stone. And he says, you praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. And I think right here, you would have been able to hear a pin drop. This is the inscription that, ha- that was written. Many, many, tekel, parson. Here's what the words mean. Many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Belshazzar, your days are numbered. You ever been around somebody who they've got the juice, they have the power. You ever been around somebody that had the juice and they knew they had the juice and they treated other people like they had the juice? You ever been around somebody that was so prideful, so arrogant, and you just wanted to walk up to them and put your arm around them and say, buddy, listen, if you don't get this under control, it is going to be a long, hard fall for you. Hey, hey, hey maybe, maybe don't talk to people like that. Hey, maybe, um, maybe don't look at yourself like that. And you see somebody like that, and you just want to walk up to them and say, man, you're, you're in for it. Do you realize that one day all of this disappears? Do you realize that one day you're not going to be that big, strong coach anymore? Do you realize that one day you're going to stoop low? All your power will be taken away from you? Do you realize that one day all the things that you hold in your hands from a, a possession standpoint won't mean anything because it won't buy you anything that you really want? You just want to walk up to them and say, listen, don't fall for that lie. It's temporary. Your days are numbered. This is that moment for Belshazzar. This is that moment when it all runs out. Your days are numbered. Second word, tekel. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. In other words, Belshazzar, you are accountable. Someone is holding you accountable. There is someone greater than you, and now you have to give an account. And then Paris. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persian. Belshazzar, your influence was temporary. Now get this. About a week before the Persians surrounded the city, and about a week before this party, uh, the king of the Persians, a guy named Cyrus the Great, and he got that name for a reason. They went about a mile or two up the river of the Euphrates. Babylon was built on the Euphrates River. Um, and in fact, they built a wall across on two places, on two sides. They built a wall across the Euphrates. That's where Babylon got its water supply from. And so about a week before this party, King Cyrus has ordered his men to go a couple of miles upstream and divert the river into a marsh. So, um, and like I said, it, it ran right through the city. The, the city depended on this, and that's you know, Belshazzar's thinking, I got this water, I'm, not, I'm never going to run out of water. Well, slowly the water levels start to go down on the Euphrates River, and Cyrus had timed this just right, that on the night of this party, the river had fallen low enough that it enabled his soldiers to get in under the wall, and even as they're having this party, and even as Daniel is saying these things to Belshazzar, 
there are Persians that are making their way under the wall and they are pouring into the city. Because the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. So what does that mean? You see, Belshazzar would lose his life this night. Belshazzar will be laid low this night. Belshazzar is going to learn everything you had, everything I've been talking about is coming to roost on you and your pride is going to take you down. So what does it mean for 3P people? It means that every day the resources we have is a stewardship. It's a stewardship. There are many variables and, and, and you should, should never get all puffed up about the things that, that come into your life, about the things that you have, about the things that you are a steward over because it can all disappear today. It is a gift. We are managing something that we did not create and we will not hold on to forever. Second thing is this, it's temporary. And most important of all this, the easiest thing to forget is that we are accountable. One of these days, we are going to give an account for what we had and how we used it and what we did with it. Prestige, power, possessions, because the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. So here's what it means for you. Here's what it means for me. As you leave here today, this is what I want on your mind. When you are the one, when you're the one that has the juice, when you're the one in charge, when you're the one that when you walk into the room, everybody looks at you, when you're the one with all the money, when you're the one with all the answers, when you're the one that, that, that has all this stuff, you've got it going on. When you're the one, you know, when you get that new car, and it's got that new car smell, and you, you, you kind of want to drive by things with glass because you want to see, you like, boy, I look good in this car, right? And you go buy expensive, nice clothes, and you look in the mirror, and you go, man, I look good in these clothes. I look good. You walk out of the hair salon, man, I look good. I feel good. Dang, I'm pretty, right? When that's you, when you've got all the juice, when you've got all the, when, you, when, when they stroke the check and you get the check and it's yours and you're like, holy cow, all that's mine. Remember, remember, remember. It's a stewardship. And it's temporary. And you're going to be held accountable for the things that you have and the things that you do because the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone He wishes. So what you've got to start doing is saying, pride, you can't have me. Pride, we're not doing that. Pride, I'm not going to act like that. Pride, I'm not going to get that built up. Pride, you're not going to get me convinced that this is anything other than a temporary situation, and I will, I will always know where it came from, and I will always give him praise. Listen, the black widow of pride in your life prowls and has laid a web for you, and it is called pride. And humility is Paul Mitchell freeze and shine. Okay? That's what it is. So as you leave here today, head on a swivel looking for pride in your life 
And when you see it, you say, no pride. No, I will not go the way of Belshazzar. Now, one last thing and we'll close. I just want you to, I want you to hear me say this, and I'm saying this because I love you. If there's somebody in here and you've never given your life to Christ, don't let pride be the reason that you don't come to God and get your sins forgiven. That is ridiculous. Don't be like Belshazzar. Admit that you need something. Admit that you don't have it all together. Admit that there may be a king bigger than you and be willing to say, God, if that deal of forgiveness is still on the table, my life for Jesus' life, and I get forgiveness for that, God, I'm in on that. And if you've never done that, I would love to talk to you about that. If you don't want to talk to me, talk to somebody that you know in here, but don't let another day go by where you let your pride keep you away from God. Let me pray over us, and we'll send us out to walk more humbly this week. Let's pray together. Father, pride really is like a black widow. It is that deadly in our life. Pride is the thing that can take us out and take us down because somehow it's got this insidious way of whispering in our ear that we're all that. And Father, we know better. We know better. So Lord, when we are the man, when we are the woman, when we have all the stuff, when it's all going our way, when we've got the new car and the nice house and the good clothes and know all the right people, Father, help us to stay humble. Help us to share. Help us to be generous. Help us to not look down our nose at other people and think we're better than anybody because it's just not true. God, God, would you just remind us that we serve Jesus who being the king of kings, came and subjected himself to a cross. And he died. Father, that is our example. That's what we want to be like. We want to be like Jesus. And it is his humility that we pursue this morning. Pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.